what's up, party people? How y'all doing? Welcome to another fabulous edition of This Week in Mormons, episode 599. Ladies and gentlemen, what a time to be alive. So thanks for taking the time to tune in. We appreciate it. You can subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts. You should do that. I'm your founder and host, Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Ariane Smith, one of the twin sisters. And I'm Tiffany Hales, the other half of the twin sisters. That's right, folks. All three powers combined (laughs) of making something more. I don't know what exactly that is. Anyway, yeah, we thought we'd have some fun this week and just have all three of us just just jump in here and be hardcore and talk about the news, talk about what's going down. I didn't realize this is 599. Do you have big plans for 600? Oh, of course. Is that a milestone? Is that a party party party? 600 is a milestone. To me, 500 felt like more of just because it's a rounder number felt like mm-hmm. that bigger milestone, We had, which was kind of a party party. I think some, I don't know if you both hopped in. I, I know I, I know did. Tiff, Tiffany, Tiffany did. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. That was, that was pretty party party. It was just a lot of hilarious reflecting on everything we'd done. 600 is still a milestone, but yeah. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. It'll be Very good nice. next week. It's going to be fun. <laughs> um, but we're thrilled you're all here, folks. Here it is. Our, our, Whatever episode, I, I was trying to think of a proper term. I was going to say like anti-penultimate, but that doesn't make sense. That's if it's like, la- I don't know, whatever. It's this, this is the show. Here we are, 599. Um, sisters, how are you all doing? What what updates do you have for us that you, you want to share with the folks? Well, I'm good on my end. Kids are in school. <laughs> okay, Order okay. is restored to the universe. <laughs> Uh, my youngest starts preschool this week, which is kind of blowing my mind. That's weird. So I know it's really weird. Yeah. So weird. But it's good. It's and good. Tiffany's been remodeling. So, yeah. Well, not only have I been remodeling, for those who are watching us as opposed to listening to us, this is. This is a picture oh. of my grandbaby. I am Fresh. now officially a grandma. So, so cute exciting. little boy. He was Yay. born on the... Congrats. Oh, he was born on a Thursday. A week ago, about August 10 days 25th. ago. August 25th. Thank you. <laughs> yes. What's the date? What's his full name? Give us all his, the important His social... His full he name. Have one yet, Ariane. It, takes a while. <laughs> it does. His, his full name is Jackson Darren. I won't say his last name, but they're going to call him JD. Jackson is for his father. Darren is for my husband. And they're going to call him JD. He was a little over sure. six pounds when he was born. He's a tiny little thing. I mean, I had these eight, nine pound babies. So I'm holding this six pound baby and I'm like, I don't know what to do with a six pound baby. I might break you. But yeah. he's really, really cute, sweet little guy. And I was texting Ariane yesterday and my other sister because um, his parents, he and his parents were over for Sunday dinner. And I took, I don't know how many pictures when he was over. Like I just was a mad woman with a camera. Like it was my first child, only it was my first grandchild. And I said, having your first grandchild is akin to having your first child. You think everything this child does is just absolutely wonderful. And you want to capture it on film. Yeah. (laughs) The only difference is then you get to go home. It's true. Just be like, have fun. Exactly. Hope you back tomorrow to enjoy it some more than walk away. <laughs> exactly. So, mom that and baby are doing really are doing really well. So that is that is wonderful news. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like I'm a long ways away from from that. You are. I will be a definitely a recipient of social security by the time I have grandchildren. That's what I'm assuming. 
Well, you'll be an so. old grandpa, like our grandparents. We had old grandparents. <laughs> I know. I don't want okay, to be an old technically, our grandparents weren't that old because I was she looking. She keeps telling me that, and I'm like, no, they were old. <laughs> so I looked at this picture when I was born because I was the first grandchild on my mother's side of the family. And so there's this four generation picture that has me, my grandma, my great grandma, and my mother. So my grandmother was 52 years old when I was born. I am 54. I am two years older than her. But I look at this picture and I'm like, she looks like she's about 25 years older than me in this picture. So I just think in in the 60s and 70s and 80s that grandparents just look older than they do now. That's my story yeah. and I'm sticking well, to it. Yeah, no, they weren't doing all the procedures they're normally doing <laughs> today. They did not have access to really good wellness products like it's we true. do nowadays, um, especially in the Mormon corridor. You know, there's a number of things you can do to increase your vitality and elasticity of your skin. Nip attack. Um, <laughs> all these things. There's a, there are a number of supplements and oils. All these kinds of things. Wellness is a real industry. Folks. Exactly. Did not exist back, then. back 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 then. It was just Amway and Tupperware. So, what are you gonna do? That's uh, true. So yeah, we got a fun week going on here. There's all kinds random of stuff random going on. Hodgepodge of articles. <laughs> I don't even know where to start this week. I literally don't know where to start this week. But I'm gonna. I've, okay, well, I'm, I've got one. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lead off if you if you don't mind, Go sisters. For it. I will. I will bat. I will bat lead off, and that means we'll move around here a bit. So a little follow up. Talked last week, of course about the situation at uh, Brigham Young University in Provo, the big uh, scandal, more or less, with the game uh, where a BYU fan, not a student, but a fan at BYU was yelling racial epithets at a Duke player. Um, And, of course, people were grateful that BYU had a response, but some were also not as grateful that nobody did much in the moment. Nobody was like, hey, person, stop this. Hey, you don't need to be here. Hey, we don't tolerate this at our university. We are going to escort you out. Thank you very much. So there have been a lot of think pieces in the wake of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one here, I like the one. Michael Austin writes over it by common consent. He typically writes pretty thoughtful uh, articles over there, which I appreciate. And so this one, long, long, title because it refers to a lot that's happened at BYU in the past year. So it's called Value and Giving Things Up. Some thoughts on volleyball. Muskets, that's referencing Elder Holland a year ago. (laughs) Clergy confidentiality, which we talked about last week. Costly signaling, and of course, BYU. Now, I can't read all of this, but to me, the crux of his argument is he's basically saying he's very happy that like the BYU Athletics Office spoke for the university when it issued a very direct statement about the incident decrying it, talking about how much we value pluralism and all those things at BYU, and that's that's sincere. He was pleased with the athletic director also coming out before the next game and saying, like, look, this this we had an incident here, and this was not okay. All of that is really, really, really good and extremely important. But I think the, the big issue here is that we can make a lot of high-level statements about things like this, but how do we actually have the rubber hit the road with the lay membership down at the bottom level? And it's not always easy to get there. Like we were talking before we recorded, the first thing that come, came to my mind, at least, was like pornography. If you remember, especially like 10 years ago or so, right during general conference, there were a lot of talks all the time about the dangers of pornography. It was, it was noticeable among the membership. But that went on so often that we all knew what was going on, right? This wasn't just me. This wasn't just like a priesthood meeting thing either. I think, Ari and Tiffany, I think you were both well aware of this tenor oh, yeah. of 
of combating pornography and how much how much attention it received. And because it got so much attention, the members were aware of it as an issue and something to be addressed uh, and that there were resources to do so. I think something like, for example, racism, at, whether it's directly at BYU, whether it's a fan of BYU, someone who lives in Provo, who's a fan who shows up. But either way, if we have racism in our church, we've done more about this in recent years, for sure. But I also worry that what's usually in response to current events, broadly speaking, I think we've done some proactive things. But right. as long as we do it that way, I, I just think it's always like waiting for something to happen. And then we have to remind people where we stand as opposed to it being a fundamental part of what we are preaching on a regular basis because it takes that level of attention for lay members to get it. I think if you're just like doing things at a high level and issuing press releases and talks here and there, like you're not going to get there. I know Michael Austin says more than that, but like, you know, whether we're responding to sexual abuse situations, all these sorts of things, like we, we can't just do it, talk about it when it happens and then think the members are going to get that message. You'd be like, oh no, we do not, we, we have very clear standards about these things. And I know this right? because they're not going to get that from the, especially for people like us, we follow the news a lot more acutely, I think, than a lot of regular everyday members do. That's why we have this podcast. But, uh, so yeah. there was more to That's it than that, but that was kind of an my interesting thought. And I wonder if, you know, we've had some conference talks about it, nothing to the degree of, you know, what they hit on with pornography years ago, but we've had a yeah. few recent ones that have been really good. I wonder if we'll get more of that, this conference, um, and like how much will it take to trickle down? Because you think back to those pornography days when they were hitting on it so hard at conference, it totally trickled down every ward in the church that was mm -hmm. such a focus of bishoprics, of young men's presidencies, young women's presidencies. Yeah. Um, it was talked about all the time in regular Sunday meetings. Uh, so, yeah, I think if there's a way for this to trickle down and be discussed more, that would be so helpful. <laughs> so and I, his article I'm, was just I'm, really good. Yeah. I just love how he talked about, um, you know, we got to put some actions along with our words. Words are great and they are sincere. He does. I love yeah. that he acknowledged like the words are sincere. It's not like they're standing up there saying this and they don't mean it. The words are sincere, but you have to put some actions with them. One thing well, I'm not sure about, we talk, we talk about pornography. Sorry, Tiffany. Um, oh, no, go ahead. Was there, was there kind of like an incident that precipitated all the pornography talk that I'm aware of other than like no. the prevalence of its availability on the internet maybe, but yeah, because a lot of these things we're doing now, or like we said, are responsive. I wonder what kind of led up to all the discussions. Like what about led up to that? I don't know. Maybe don't it know. was, and maybe that was coming from individuals in wards that were going to bishops mm -hmm. with the problem. And then maybe it was trickling back up to Salt Lake. And so they, I don't maybe know, so. who knows? That yeah. is an interesting question. Anyway, sorry, Tiffany, you were, you were going to say something. Oh, well, just on that last comment, I was going to say, I agree. I think that probably started with the bishops on the ward level seeing either individuals coming in or wives coming in and saying, hey, my husband has this pornography problem, and it just kind of trickled up the line. One thing that I found really fascinating in this article, and, and this is something that I've kind of thought about a lot, um, he talks about when, when values come into conflict with other values, because we always have to make a, a choice, you know, an opportunity cost where we have to give up something to get something else. And that a lot of times it's, you know, 
it, it's good versus good or good versus a lesser good. And, and how do you weigh all of that? And, and I just was thinking about that in terms of, because this is where I see a lot of conflict maybe in social media on some of these issues is, you know, you have, especially when it comes to LGBTQ issues, you know, the church is very clear on their stance on LGBTQ. We, we know what that stance is. We also know they have said, hey, you know, we need to love people and, and we need to, you know, be respectful and things like that. But then you've got other members who are like, well, I have to stand up for what I believe and standing up for what I believe means saying what you're doing is wrong and, and you're engaging in incorrect behavior. And I'm standing yeah. up for my beliefs, just like the church told me to do without that measure or that balance of, yeah, you could stand up for what you believe, but that doesn't mean standing up for what you believe should make another person feel badly. Uh, you know, and, and where is that line and where is that balance? Because it is really true. Values often come into conflict with each other. And we as human beings are picking one value over the other. And I don't think our church leaders necessarily, I mean, on some issues, they've come down very firm. But I don't think when you get into these nuances that sometimes, you know, they're you know, they don't say, well, we espouse this value over that value when two values are both equally good. Yeah. And that's more up to us to figure out how to navigate and how to balance things. Anyway, that's yeah. my thoughts. Well, thank you. No, it was, Amen. A, it was Amen. a good article. Lots of good thoughts in it. Yeah. Check it out. We'll link to it at the website, everybody. All right. Uh, what's next? Do we want to talk about the pamphlet? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> none of us want to talk. None Do of us want to touch with talk a ten about foot pole. The pamphlet. <laughs> you are you, my my dear alma mater. <laughs> they are on the struggle bus lately <laughs> for a while. Okay, so that this just happened, I guess, last week. There was supposed to be a pamphlet. Um, an LGBTQ kind of ally type pamphlet that some advocacy groups had gotten together, had approved, had paid the fee that was going to go into a freshman orientation bag uh, for the new freshmen that get there. And then I guess at the last minute, the pamphlet got pulled by who, who pulled it? The office of I well, I think there were it. some pamphlets that went out and then BYU kind of got wind as to what some of the content of the pamphlet was. And right. then the rest of them got pulled. Some got pulled, some went out. So it's been a big controversy because the ally groups are saying, why'd you pull our pamphlet? We were approved. This is a great resource. Um, you know, they're working hard um, to try to make all students at BYU feel accepted, loved, comfortable. And then the the opposite side is maybe this pamphlet went a little too far. Yeah. So there's and, there's two oh, sides. And, and BYU said that like it was the Office of Student Life that made well, the decision to was. remove them. And then BYU said they I think the issue here is, at least according to BYU, not saying we disagree with the the intent but they're saying that they would li- their quote is we, they would like our students and employees to utilize our new office of belonging as their primary resource in these efforts. So like, why is a third party, which was because right. isn't it like the Rainbow Collective was doing this? Yeah, why is a third they, party doing this and not the office of belonging. That's true. And they had listed on the pamphlet 
lots of resources available to LGBTQ students. And the BYU offices were one of the resources, but there were also a whole bunch of other outside um, community type resources. And I think you're right. BYU is like, well, we just want to, you have, we, we are your resource kind of a thing. So anyway, interesting stuff. (laughs) Um, There was a pretty angry article written by, is this Cassandra? Cassandra. 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 What's going on with Cassandra? Cassandra's got some. Cassandra some was angry. <laughs> so well, you know, she she went through the pamphlet. Uh, you know, I would I would be devil's advocate for Cassandra right now. So you know, she says a lot of these other articles didn't really go through the pamphlet, and it was just you know us, you know. It's just BYU being homophobic and not being open. Uh, you know, that's kind of how this was painted. But she does go through the pamphlet. And and is there legit stuff in the pamphlet? Yeah, absolutely legit stuff. Is there some other stuff in the pamphlet that may be a little more questionable and suspect? You know, one of the things that she pointed out in the pamphlet was, first of all, the pamphlet was talking about a drag show. And if I recall correctly, isn't there something in the BYU honor code right now that says as a BYU student, you can't cross dress that if, if, if you're male, you need to dress like a male. If you're female, you need to dress female. And that's part of the honor code. But then she also talks about, there's a lot of stuff in this pamphlet that refers to a lot of, um, Oh, what is the word I'm looking for here? You know, gender affirming if you are feeling like you are not in the the body or have the correct gender that you thought you should. You know, I know just a few years ago and lots of resources for that. I know just it was recently didn't BYU speech department refuse to um work with anybody who was transitioning from male to female or female to male and Mm. needing speech therapy to change how they spoke. And so, you know, to have this that advocates a lot of these types of resources, you know, may not per se be in harmony with other stances that the university has taken on some of these issues. I agree. It's complicated, but I will say... I will say she did make some some points of like, you know, they were they were not promoting this drag show per se, but it was part of a welcome back pride event that the city of Provo was putting on. And if you read the fine print, it was like, you know, there'll be bubbles, there'll be a dance, there'll be a drag show. Um, so then she went and further explored the drag show. She found like a separate whole page about the drag show that was not in the um, pamphlet, but she was able to find online and and. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I will. <laughs> I'm loving I, Peter Peter Pansy, by the way. <laughs> know, she, she listed all the names of the drag queens. Which, if you know anything about drag shows, they have quite the names. <laughs> so, but uh, so I I can appreciate her point of view that yeah maybe it was walking a fine line. But what I didn't appreciate was her tone. Her tone of this article was so. Um, I don't know. It just came off as just really aggressive to me against and fear mongering. It was just kind of like, do you want to send your kid to BYU and they are going to be told how to turn themselves into the opposite gender? It was just very aggressive, I thought, um, and kind of like playing on 
some fears. Yeah, maybe the pamphlet crossed a line, but also I don't think that BYU is trying to indoctrinate your children. I don't think these ally groups are trying to pull people in and take your kids and, you know, do this. I really think that's not their intent, but she kind of presented it as maybe that was their intent. (laughs) So. Yeah, I think it's there's kind of like two different levels here. There's mm-hmm. you can criti- you can criticize this from the point of like just flat out is it healthy or not? Is it right or is it wrong? Like what's best mm-hmm. for the LGBTQ community, et cetera, et cetera, and how should BYU be supporting them? But then also what Tiffany said, just straight up with the standards as they currently are and the rules as right. they currently are, whether you agree with them or not, but with what they are, does this align to those rules and you could argue right. like in, in many ways it does not and it kind of goes beyond that and you could also so you could get the argument you could say well come on BYU right. do better change the rules fine that's a different discussion but mm-hmm. um, sometimes you have to play the game a little bit to get ahead you know yeah. on certain things it was interesting the other thing I thought was super interesting in her article by this Cassandra was she was really coming for the Deseret News did you see her jab at them a few the- times in the article she was not happy with their reporting on this there and there are many in the in the farther right fringes uh-huh. uh, within our faith community right now that think Deseret News has been like taken over by a liberal cabal. Basically. Wow! And yeah, Mike Lee. And of course, Mike Lee. <laughs> As an aside, I swear I saw something just today that I uh, didn't. Mike Lee in 2016 openly say he voted for Evan McMullen for president instead of Trump or Hillary. <gasps> Did he? I might I saw it. I can't verify it yet. But well, that would be we amazing. should verify this or not, folks. We I'm not one to perpetuate should. rumors. But we need uh, a follow up. <laughs> that'd yes. be the whole most hilarious thing to bring up in a debate ever be like, dude, you voted for me. Right. <laughs> for president, no less. Well, I, you know, and I do agree with Arianne on the tone of this article and I and I and and that you know, I, I think BYU maybe didn't fully understand if when this was approved, everything they were approving. And, and I, I'm with Arianne. I, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, BYU is certainly not out to, to indoctrinate. And there was a lot of uh, at least pro-LGTBQ stuff. And there was a lot of, of fear mongering. But I think she had some valid points, too. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Tiffany, it's your turn. Let's just go. Let's just keep doing rounds. Okay, I am going to pick then the As story. A side note, I love I love that you both print your articles. I always have. It brings me joy. <laughs> it just brings me joy. We're I super old school, it. huh? No, I okay. like it. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. I just like it. I just see Ariane just pushing notes over. I'm like, you guys are pros. Stuff you well, You're ready. You know what? I did not print any of these. I'm doing this all online tonight, Jeff. Oh my gosh. So, modernized. Well, no, but when we do our regular show, trust me, I'll go back to printing. It was just I was I was running short on time today. No, okay. Anyway. Uh let's move on to general conference coming up. The first presidency invites all to participate in October 2022 general conference. And so they released a lovely little message saying, hey, we're having general conference. We'd like you all to come and participate and hear the messages of the prophets. But here is what is really interesting about this. So 
you may recall a few years ago, they said, hey, we're doing away with the priesthood session and the women's session. And we're just going to add a third session on Saturday. So we did with, that. With goofy, ra- well, sorry, let me interrupt. No, go ahead. Initially, there was there was no Saturday thing for a, like they got rid of. Oh, it. that's right. And they got rid of it completely. And, and the idea was just like, well, anybody can watch these, so why should we have separate sessions? Yeah. Which I always thought was kind of bizarre logic. Like, yeah, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just because anyone can watch it doesn't mean you don't do like specific programming to a certain audience. But then, yes, then they then about a year ago, it was a year ago, it was October yeah. of twenty one. They said we're gonna bring it back and have so they- a Saturday evening session again, but. They bring it back for a Saturday evening session that is a general session. It is not a gender-specific session. And so it went on forever. It just made it seem like Saturday general conference never ended. So then they say this last April, they're like, oh, we're going to have a women's session. So they have a women's session, which I naturally assumed we're going to have a priesthood session in the fall. No, 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 no. (laughs) That was a bad assumption on my part to make because they have gone back to having a third general session. They are not having a priesthood session in a few weeks. They're going to have a general session. And let me tell you, I'm a little miffed about this for a number of reasons. First of all, I'm miffed because, well, we had a women's session, so I think they should have a priesthood session. Let's keep this equal. Second, I had assumed they were going to have a priesthood session, and I made plans to have an amazing party that night. Let me tell you about my amazing party I was going to have that night. So I'm in the Relief Society presidency in my ward, and we have a young woman. Well, actually, she's 18 now, so she's in Relief Society because she graduated. So she's a legit Relief Society sister. She is Miss Teen Idaho USA, and she is competing in the national pageant. And the night that she is competing for the national pageant is uh, that uh, that that Saturday, October 1st, 2022. And so assuming that we were going to have a priesthood session, I was like, we are going to have a pageant party at my house while all the, we send all the men off to priesthood. <laughs> and we are going to watch Jenna compete for this national title. But alas, now I'm like, I don't think I can have a legit church-sponsored pageant party at my house in defiance of what is now a general conference session. You have so to I'm in it. a quandary. <laughs> I This is what I say you do. We have all technology available to us. You need to double screen this. Yes. Oh. You got conference on one screen, pageant on the other screen. Oh. You mute accordingly. Like, or put conference in another room. That we can have right. Multiple, oh, that would be good people. Oh, I could do that. People have to walk good in the door sorting. and they have to choose pageant room or conference room. And you can figure out who's more spiritual that way. It's perfect. I don't know. Yes. I kind of like the double screen and muting at appropriate times. No, no. If you, do, if you do the separate rooms, this is a good way to separate the from the chaff in the event you're in a leadership <laughs> position later on, you know who you can actually count on. Like, who's legit. But I might pick the party. This is like, she this, won't, this, she won't this be in a leadership your... position because she'll be in the pageant room. <laughs> it's very true. Is, I am hands down in the pageant room. <laughs> this is your science camp right here. This is perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. So that is my beef with the third session of conference. <laughs> I am also not okay with this because I don't like the pressure of having my entire family. Well, the children have to watch two more hours. Not that I made them last time. Like by then they're done. Well, but who does? Yeah, like you think I do on the East Coast? 
<laughs> no. no, it starts at it starts at eight o'clock. I'm like, no, it's over. So, Go to bed. You're done. I don't know. I just I was so happy when they brought back the women's session because for me as a woman, that just felt so personal. And I was really actually kind of sad when they took it away. So when they brought it back, I was so happy. And so now I'm like, well, what are they doing? Do you think they'll do priesthood in April next year? And, th- and that's <laughs> the way they'll do it. So you get to have a gender specific session every other year. I wonder. If that's the case. I mean, maybe. we'll we'll see. We haven't had priesthood session in a long time. I think maybe they're just like, this isn't worth it, guys. This is <laughs> I've been to some good priesthood session meetings. Sometimes when I was like, I felt like Priesthood session for me personally, and maybe this speaks to my own spirituality, has been like fine in the year until they ditched it. But in the more recent past, it's been okay. But I feel like in the Hinkley era, it was like really worth something. You'd go to priesthood session and it was extremely specific to the priesthood holders in that sense. And of course, that President Hinkley. So, you know, good, you know, President Hinkley was great. I always left feeling like, all right, I, I, I've been educated. I came to understand certain things better than I might otherwise have done. And uh, not that you don't always get that from the other ones, but it felt it started to feel a little more general even as time went on before they did away with it in the first place with right. some like cursory mentions that were specific to the men. And of course, you'd always have an all-male choir that was always some like father-son's choir from the Wasatch Front. Sorry, I hate all the non-Motab <laughs> choirs during conference because they're rarely <laughs> – there's been a couple of good ones. There's been a couple of good ones. Like when they had that, like, like that, what was that one called? Like that multiracial choir? What was oh, that Oh, with one the called? refugees? Was it the refugees? And that, choir? yeah, that was that cool. Was that, cool. Was, that was great. Yeah. But broadly speaking, when it's like, and now a music will be brought to us by a choir comprising institute students across the 801 area code. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so I'm with you. I don't, I, I felt like we like tried to solve a problem we didn't have. Right. And I don't know if it was like a knee-jerk response to trying to show greater equality and stuff between the genders in the church. Yeah, I And so why should we have segregated that. sessions? But now it's like, no, there's like value in it. I think it's especially for you as women, there's value in yeah. it because you get to have a meeting like in April that's like run. You, you have President, I think President Nelson or President Oaks was just there hanging out and still right. spoke. But you have like a meeting by the women, run by the women female speakers. And I think that is a good thing. And that's the messages are very specifically directed towards yeah. the women. That's interesting that you feel like the priesthood uh, specific message messages maybe were diluted. A bit I mean, you'll see a little bit of it. Like years ago, we used to do word clouds after every general conference session to try mm-hmm. to visualize. We'd take all the text and like make a little, you know, visual thing. And you would note like in the priesthood session, what it would notably say like priesthood blessing, like a lot of terminology mm-hmm. that's very specific to that. But but still, beyond that, I feel like it started to kind of, yeah, become more more of a general session over time. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to nerd out now. Okay. okay. But this will only be for a few minutes, so you can be okay. All right? You can all just hang out. <laughs> Folks, very hot news. As you know, I'm, uh, I, fa- I fancy myself a bit of a demographer, and I enjoy international relations and the like. So cool article coming over out of uh, Matt Martinick's blog over at LDS Church Growth. Uh, which is a, a invaluable resource that I've referenced for years. And I also love that he still runs it as a blogger temp- template, like old school, like Google, blo- Google blogger. And he's never even seen to try to update it in any way, shape or form. Just first of all, kudos to that, sir. This man could be rocking <laughs> WordPress or doing anything else, but he doesn't care. So uh, small little note here. The church created the first branch in Northern Cyprus. 
And a lot of you listening probably say, what the heck does that even mean? And why do I care? And it's totally okay if it's not a thing. But for a very quick lesson, the island of Cyprus, geographically in Asia, it's like west of Syria and Lebanon, south of Turkey, okay? But largely Greek in its history. It was a British protectorate until like the 60s when it gained independence. It's a part of the European Union today, all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of like another Greek country-ish. But in the 70s, um, Turk ethnic Turks sailed across the channel there, and, and I'm very much simplifying this, and laid claim to the northern third of the island. Obviously, the issue is more complicated than that, but they have since proclaimed the Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is Turkish and Islamic, on the northern third of it, which is recognized by nobody but Turkey. The rest of it is Cyprus, and the entirety of Cyprus is recognized internationally as governed by Cyprus. But Cyprus, this island, has like well, it's not a Berlin Wall, but there's a barrier running th- right through the capital, Nicosia, right? Which is the capital huh. city for both republics. Um, it's a complicated issue, right? And so the church has branches in the Greek Cyprus, for lack of a better term. Than it's, and ironically, I think the church is going to be doing better in Cyprus than in all of Greece at this rate, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so the church just organized, though, its first branch in North Cyprus, which is largely, again, Turkish, Islamic, so just kind of cool news. We don't have a lot of inf- other information about it, but um, I think like, even if they didn't even say uh, for sure where it is, it's probably in Nicosia, the capital. I just think that's super neat. I always love it when the church is getting into more far-flung regions and interesting places. And it's particularly notable, as Matt points out, because the church doesn't typically operate much in like uh, conflicted, disputed territories mm-hmm. like that. Um Missionaries, like when Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, that got kind of weird. And they pulled missionaries out of, and the, the war is, of course, complicated. Yeah. But even parts of like the country of Georgia, which are occupied currently by Russian troops, Abkhazia, South Ossetia, don't have it. Transnistria, Transnistria is another Russian puppet thing, is this wedge of Moldova where we don't really have a presence. And this is kind of a common theme. So the fact that there is still a disputed ter- territory here and the church is just kind of going for it. Right. is intriguing in that sense because the church often opts to avoid that just for the sake of the hassle and all that kind of stuff. So well, I always good on you. How does Cyprus. the church even end up in these obscure places like that? But it, I think I clicked on another article related and it talked about most of the church members there are English speaking. So I don't know if they've moved there from other places. They might have. Like, it's yeah. super interesting to me when the church makes its way into these obscure smaller countries it's kind of amazing yeah and like and that's a good example like we have you know we have a we have two stakes in the middle east for example um mm-hmm. one of which is like i forget the name it's actually the Manama bahrain stake but basically like persian gold stakes the uae's in it qatar bahrain and all this and that and you might be like what these are like you know these are muslim countries that right are across the how sea from how does that happen <laughs> it's the same thing it's expats primarily right. like if you were to go to church in abu dhabi it's extremely like aggressively Filipino, for example. Huh. There's a lot of immigrants. And it's great. Great. They live there. If you're an immigrant, who cares? There's immigrants all over the world. And so if the church exists in an area, even if it's not catering to perhaps like the ethnic Emirati population, the church mm-hmm. still exists there and the government's letting us exist. And that's great. So good times. Right. Sure. All right. Well, is, am I up? <laughs> yeah, go got, ahead. Whatever. I've got another BYU article. We don't have to do like a clean every three, but yeah, whatever you <laughs> Whatever All right. Well, I've got another BYU one. This is this is a positive, good, good one. <laughs> BYU needs some good news. Um, some BYU students have created a new water filtration device for Pakistan. 
Nice. Um, so this is kind of cool. It talked about Elder Peter F. Muir's, uh, a general authority 70, was lead manager on this project. He is um, the first counselor in the Asia area presidency. So I thought that was really cool. I haven't ever really heard of yeah. that happening before. I'm assuming he's over there. He sees the problems. And so he's just like, hey, let's get some BYU students on this. I don't know. Um, he says about 30% of diseases in Pakistan come from contaminated water. So BYU set up a team of students to try to solve this problem. Uh, They created this filtration system. They made a device that takes water through microfiltration and ultra filtration. And they tested it out in the duck pond south of BYU campus. Ah, (laughs) I thought that was excellent. They said the water (laughs) came out beautifully clean and pure. (laughs) I was like, well, who's going to taste that water? I would like to know which one of the group project people volunteered for that. I'm guessing they sent it off to the chemistry lab to have it (laughs) analyzed in the chemistry lab before anybody tasted it. (laughs) I know. I hope so. Anyway, this article is fun because it shows actual pictures of these, you know, students dipping into this muddy duck pond water. And then it shows this hose after it goes through their filtration device and they're filling up a glass and it's crystal clean. Anyway, so they came up with this thing and it's going to hopefully do a lot of good in Pakistan for people who live there. I don't expect any of us to know the science very well, but like (laughs) obviously water filtration is an existing industry. Do we have any idea what makes this like unique or novel? I have no idea. They were talking about how it needed to be, um, what did they say? There were two things it needed to fight against and I don't know know, why. Bacteria is a a, a major issue, of course. You have to be able to clean out bacteria. Treating I don't water know why this one. Uh, or is it because the church basically leveraged BYU students to be like, make, figure out how to make a cheap filtration device that we can use for our humanitarian work? Like, we can't go, we can't keep buying these Britas, people. Right. We gotta buy something more legit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I don't know, but that is interesting because yeah, you think I mean, life life straws are a thing. You can order them on Amazon. Yeah. But. Yeah. What What's <laughs> maybe, amazing is how. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say maybe there's something special about this one but they did not explain that in the article no and what's interesting though is how timely this is given the floods in pakistan right now when the Mm -hmm. uh, whole idea of potable clean water uh is even more at the forefront of our minds because flooding flood water is nasty and uh in in an area that already struggles with that kind of cleanliness for their sanitation so Good article to come out during a terrible time for Pakistan. Yeah. And the church itself actually has a lot of members in Pakistan. It's another one of those weird cases mm-hmm. of it's a Muslim. That's an actual Muslim country with like, wow. like people from Pakistan who are members. I remember when I was in the MTC. Really? I was in the MTC 20 years ago or so and met a bunch of elders from Pakistan. And that was this light goes on in my head. I was like, we've got like members in Pakistan. I know. Like, that is kind of mind blowing. Unreal. That like, that was a treat. And then the other big one, I think I mentioned before I was, I was there in January of 2002. Salt Lake Olympics were coming up in like February of 2002. And so the MTC was every week getting loaded up with sister missionaries from all sorts of countries. Cause the church oh, wanted to have them ready to go right. for the Olympics. So it was, it was really interesting seeing how many, how much they ramped up that sort of, classic temple square type missionary during that stretch which was kind of fun because they were from they were from everywhere all right well i want to call out the next one if we're done with the pakistan water we are done with the pakistanis yes okay i want to go to manti teo and his documentary on netflix raise your hand if you've seen it 
Me, me, me. Me, me, me. Jeff. You didn't watch it yet, Jeff? I'd never even watched Under the Banner of Heaven. I watched two episodes of Mormon No More. I spent most of my time watching Frasier. Ah. So. Okay. You got well, to put Frasier on hold and watch this. It's amazing. No, I don't. I love it. So this, this is the antithesis of Under the Banner of Heaven and Mormon No More. So for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with this, uh, Bantai Teo was a um, former football player for Notre Dame. He was highly recruited out of high school. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist, and he got catfished. And um, pretty much during the whole entire four years that he was at Notre Dame, he thought he had this girlfriend, and this girlfriend did not exist in the way that he thought that she existed, yeah. uh, is, is the best way to to tell it. And um, there is a documentary about him on Netflix. And I'm trying to remember what it was called in the documentary. It's called, it's called Untold. And that's it's a right. Series, and they're going to tell a series of different sports stories. Yeah. And uh, Manti Teos was just like the first of the series. So there's yes. only two episodes. Yes, there's two episodes. And it's a very well done documentary because not only do they interview Manti Teo and his parents and his friends and family as to what uh -oh. their record. Uh oh, we lost her. <laughs> not only do they interview Manti Teo and his parents, they also interview David A. Bednar of the Holy <laughs> Apostles, who said, and I quote, This is deplorable. I can't believe this happened. What was my daughter thinking? <laughs> oh, my goodness. False news from Jeff. <laughs> Yes. Because okay. Do you remember seeing this story in the news though when it no. came out? Oh, baby, I don't know. It's all a blur at this point. Because it was a really big. Oh, this is in 2012. Yeah, it was a really big news story. Okay, it was I all over the news at the time, and I vaguely remember hearing about it. But I, yeah, the documentary was really interesting because it told all the details, um, and that, like, as Tiffany was about to say, they interviewed the cat Fisher that did this to him, who was a man, but has now transitioned into a woman. Um, but at the time it was a man and he had this totally alternate personality online posing as a woman. So anyway, it was super interesting because at the time Manti Teo was just got so much heat for it. Um, when it all came out in the media, a lot of people thought he, was in on it and that he had done yeah. it for attention and that he knew the whole time and he really had to defend his character. And so uh, it was just really interesting to hear all the details. Where is Amen she? to that. <laughs> oh, and I will say, I should say this for listeners. Um, when you get on Netflix and go to watch it, it's rated MA. <gasps> But <gasps> I know, I know that might scare some people off. I am here to say that I think there was one, maybe two F words, F bombs in the whole thing. And there was nothing like sexual. Did, I think did, the reason. Did Manti say them himself? I do not believe it was Manti. I think it was one of his football player friends. <sighs> so I believe the reason it's rated MA is because it's a whole sports series and the other they're oh, going to okay. start to tell other sports stories after this one. And those ones, it looks like from the previews are going to be much more MA. I would rate this more like a PG 13. All so. right. All right. Fair enough. Think, and that's, that's, that's good feedback. Let's see how Tiffany's going on. Oh no. She says she's trying to get back on. She's never really left. 
That's the weird uh. thing. Oh, it's going to be loading. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. Loading. Now it's gray. Who knows? Well, the news doesn't wait, Ariane. Oh, oh, I hear I'm- her. <laughs> Maybe. Always making it more difficult for me to edit things than it otherwise <laughs> should have to be. My goodness. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm going to move on here. Okay. And talk tithing. Oh, yeah. Manti, Teo, whatever. So, um, hey, it's Tiffany. Oh, she's back. I can see her. She's looking at us like she can't hear us and has no idea what's happening. There yes, we... folks. This is this is called dead air. So, <laughs> so, oh boy, she looks she looks upset. Well, at least I'm not okay. alone, right? I'm not alone. This is why it's good to have threes. Right? I think <laughs> I think we say two by two, but I think three by three is the way we have to go. So, fascinating little article here out of Times and Seasons called "A Time When Tithing Was Almost Done Away." This was that, super interesting. I thought this was so. So the crux of this is Samuel Brunson. Uh, appeared on the Latter-day Saint History blog uh, from the desk and talked a bit about there was a time when they almost quit tithing in the church. The gist of it essentially was that a little bit later in the pioneer era, so basically after the U.S. Civil War, remember Brigham Young was church president for a very long time. So Civil War is over. Utah, you know, was out there. And uh, the Civil War was expensive. Reconstruction was going on, and tariffs weren't going to be enough to fund the war effort in the first place. So the North decided to flirt with income taxes. Now, you might remember income taxes came as an amendment to the U.S. Constitution eventually. Um, So a man named John P. Taggart, the Internal Revenue Assessor for the Utah Territory, decided that the the tithing collected by the Church of the of Latter Day the Church of the Latter Day Saints look at me like a bad journalist. The tithing collected by the Church was taxable income, according to this assessor. And therefore, the church needed to pay $59,000 to the federal government. And this is back in, you know, late, you know, 1860s kind of money, right? So his reasoning was that he believed tithing was obligatory in the church, not a free will offering. That's a crucial identifier there. Um, Both because the church occasionally kept a ledger of how much people owed and how much they had paid and because they claimed that non-payment of tithing was punishable by death or expulsion, which in his, his mind was basically the same thing for Mormons in Utah. All right. And this is this means kind of tithing overall. Right. Which yeah. this confused me. Is he saying he believed that Mormons were punished by death if they didn't pay their tithing? Yeah, potentially. So I think I don't know if he had that quite. <laughs> Where to get quite that? Right. Where to get yeah, that quite rumor? Right. <laughs> So obviously the church was not too keen on wanting to pay this terrible extra money to anything. Why, 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 why would we want to pay more tithing? That sounds like a bad idea. Tiffany, I think we can hear you like clicking stuff. Just as a side note, I hear clicks, but she clearly can't. (laughs) It's compelling video, people. Anyway, (laughs) Brigham Young didn't think that was a feasible amount to pay. Think about it. Liquid cash of $60,000. Let's see. I mean, I don't know what year this was exactly. Right. How much is that today? 1860. Let's just say $1868. Let's say 1868, right? Are we talking like how many millions? Roughly $1 in 1868 was about almost $21 today. Okay. So multiply it by 20 times. So let's say roughly $60,000. Simple calculations would tell us that is about one point two five billion dollars. Whoa! <laughs> and 
in today's money. So you could see how the church might be like, yeah, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so the only reason this actually like, so the church at this point weighed stopping the collection of tithing. The church needed tithing uh, to, uh, to right. buoy itself they, up. It they were not financially sound back in Brigham's day, were they? Yeah, it needed tithing to function, but that 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 tax was so heavy that they actually seriously considered suspending the payment of tithing, which is a crackup. Because remember, tithing is a a practice the Lord called a standing law unto them forever, and yet they were ready to say, "Yeah, but because of U.S. tax law, we're maybe not going to do it because we don't want to have to shell out the equivalent of." $1.2 billion to the federal <laughs> government. Mind you, a federal government we were trying to get escape from right. you know, when we came to Utah in the first place. Uh, so ironically, the only thing that changed, it was literally, he even described it like it's a, it's a, a, a deus ex machina, basically. What happened was uh, the commissioner of the Eternal Revenue upheld the taxability of the church with tithing for a while. But before the church had to pay, though, Congress approved a new commissioner of, of internal revenue. And the new commissioner was kind of an income tax skeptic in general. And so in a letter to the Committee on Ways and Means shortly after his appointment, he recommended the immediate repeal of the tax because he felt that tithes were, in fact, voluntary donations, not required, and therefore exempt from tax. And that's what kind of saved the church's butt in this instance. Literally just a different person showed up who had a different interpretation of the law. Um, it was a tender super, mercy. <laughs> super, super interesting. I love that this article exists. I think that's that's a yeah. great little bit of church history I knew nothing about. It is super interesting. They didn't mention that in the New Saints. I've been listening to the new one. <laughs> that did not come so, up. So by the by, there was a time when we start, thought, maybe we, yeah, could you imagine <laughs> that with like reg- everyday members today? They're like, wait a minute. The church was considering not requiring tithing because of a disagreement on tax code. Right. I, for, and for how many conservative members of the church believe that income tax itself is like unconstitutional and wrong? Yeah, that's right. going to be a slippery slope of like, well, I'm not paying my tithing anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> to say nothing of paying to Caesar what is for Caesar, who cares about that? I will not pay <laughs> my tithing. Yep. Tiffany, should we just carry on? Do you? She does. I don't know. I, I don't just know what bad. she's I, doing. I told her to click out and maybe start up again, but I don't know if she did. We might do the entire show without Tiffany at this point. Well, that would be unfortunate. It would. It would. We need her laughter and her fun and her mirth. We do. But, All right. Uh, well, should I go to the next one? Yeah, you might as well. Let's see. We've got an American Idol contestant that just recorded a song for the church's youth album. I have not kept up on my American Idol in many years, <laughs> but this girl, her name is Kennedy Anderson. And I guess um, she was on the most recent season of American Idol and the judges loved her, but she left after only a few weeks um, for personal reasons. She like self-eliminated. So nobody knows why. Article didn't really mention that. But Uh. in the meantime, the church has uh, hit her up to sing uh, one of their songs for the youth album. It's called Strive to Be. So you can look her up on a YouTube video and see her singing that if you are a fan of Kennedy Anderson. So I, she has a good voice. I, I listened to a clip. I am. Hey, Tiffany. Anything? I think she can hear us. Oh, you just got to fix your us. input. You just got to fix your mic input stuff. That's all you got to do. Just tweak your inputs. We can see you. Aren't you enjoying this, everybody who's following along at home? <laughs> this is great content. <laughs> well, I am going to continue 
with uh, da, 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 da. which one do I want to jump on at this point? Because I really, I you know what? It's uh, it has to happen. I've avoided this article, but you can't avoid this stuff. So many months ago, um, you might remember we spoke about a a housewife described as a Mormon housewife uh, who has an OnlyFans page. Okay, you guys had talked about this person already? This came up because an article about her came out. Oh. And of course, everyone laughs this up. I mean, come on. How sal- how, See, I, I, how how salacious is this? this I is missed delightful. this when you talked about it before. My jaw about dropped when I read this one. <laughs> so it has existed. And now she has complained that she's been frozen out of church because the church discovered her secret, as they euphemistically describe it in the Daily Mail, online modeling. Just some online modeling, you know. And thankfully, the MSN hosted article crops most things because I wanted to share this on Twim social channels, but too many of the photos, none of them are nudes, but it's it's her her looking sexy times, you uh-huh. know, being being real, real sexy like. So she's complaining basically that like a ward member like ratted her out to leadership and now she's in trouble. I have to be careful with the way I, I phrase anything here because I want to be diplomatic because we believe, of course, the atonement and and love and all these things are for everyone and we want to have people in the church and we want to love them and care for them and so many important things. But at the same time, I have to wonder, where <clears throat> where did you think this was going exactly? Especially when, 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 you, when you went for public knowledge about the fact that you are engaging in... Uh, sexually explicit behavior on an OnlyFans page, and you and you personally are cool with it, with regard to where that your standing is with God. But where did we think this was going to end? Once you were public with this, this wasn't like someone in your ward. Because because imagine imagine if someone in this was not in a story beforehand, and someone in the ward is like, you won't believe it, so and so is is doing this, you know, sexually explicit stuff online. Because first of all, you'd be like, and right. how do you know that, brother? That's interesting <laughs> to me. Right. <laughs> um, but like there were articles about her all over the place. And so what is so I, she's very public about it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So it's like, I'm not, I want to be sympathetic to people, but at the same time, I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, she can do what she wants, but we have, there are rules in the church. And I think many of the standards are pretty clear. I think there's some things, a lot of things God has tried to leave to us to pray about and figure out how to implement on our own and what works. Uh, I, I do believe uh, engaging in sexual behavior on camera uh, for your fans is is a is a, a clearer one, you know, yeah. to to avoid. <laughs> okay, so in this article, she was you know talking. She sounded pretty upset that she was maybe being shunned by members of her congregation. She'd been chastised by leadership. Chastising by leadership is understandable. I could see how they would want to say something in this situation. Um. I hope she's not being shunned by members of her conversation or com- congregation. That would How make me How awkward sad. would you feel though? If you were in I her know. ward and I'm saying, and I'm with you. Right. Do not shun. I hope she's not being shunned, but yes, I gr- but. I totally agree at the same time. Like that would make for some very awkward conversations um, amongst members of your ward. So I could see maybe people are just kind of avoiding the conversation and she's feeling shunned. I get it. I hope she's not being shunned. She did say in the article that, you know, she's going to keep going and she's going to stay faithful and she's going to keep going to church. And, you know, I thought, well, good for her for, you know, 
I didn't uh, think we're, we're good for her, but she's she. This, this is one. The temple recommends one thing, but this is going to run up on the risk of like excommunication. I think. Yeah, I think it is. If she if she keeps yeah. going, it's pretty it's pretty extreme. And again, I've seen people excommunicated also for less than this. So yeah. I don't know because it's about like damage to the church and potentially to the yeah. saints. That's kind of when yeah. that comes into question. And if you have right. an ostensibly active member but who's also doing this, it. Well, and especially when yeah. she's so public about it and so, you know, she was definitely feeding into the press of oh yeah, of doing this. And yeah, I'm a member of the church, but I do this and it's Oh, Tiffany, I cool. think you're here. Are you here now? Yes. Yes, I am. Do, oh my God, do you support back. an OnlyFans page for church members in general? Do you have a well, hot pick? I, I would, I would. Not make that my first choice. What was running through my head, again, because I'm in the Relief Society presidency, if this woman were in my ward, I'm like, oh, that could make an interesting ministering assignment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To figure out who to minister to to her. (laughs) That would feel comfortable. Yeah, right. because you well, know we're we're a little repressed when it comes to those issues as Latter Day Saints. What I we know are known for how progressive we are. <laughs> I know it's hard, and it's hard as a woman. I feel like because it almost feels like a betrayal, right? Like, like come on, be a girl's girl. Why are you out there doing that? Enticing right? our she men. Says her she says her name is Holly Jane. I'm sorry. Mm-mm. No, it's not. If your name is Holly Jane, you are that you're very close to just doing straight up porn. <laughs> I'm making much. a living from my hot body. Yeah, I'm, so I, I decided to try to find one of the posts that's a little more in detail. But the problem is, it's more de- detailed. Right. When I first read the article, I was like, well, what's she What's she doing on there? Maybe it's not that bad. But it became apparent by her interview. I was like, oh, no, she's doing some pretty dark stuff on there. I think she's in your area, Ariane. There's a picture of her in front of what I believe is the port, or in your former area. Sorry, but oh, she looks like she's in front of the Portland Temple. Really? Yes, really. Well, this is this is interesting. <laughs> oh, what a what a fun, sexy time for you. <laughs> hey Tiffany, well, speaking, you get you get dibs. No, Tiffany gets dibs. She wasn't here. Oh, oh but you right, did say right, speaking right. of Oregon, that doesn't make sense. That's a good segue. Speaking no, of take Oregon, it, take it, take it. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. that was going to be my question: is have we talked about Oregon? Because if not, I need to punt that to Ariane because yeah, we t- haven't talked about Oregon. Okay, good. I, I didn't miss it on it. my computer. But speaking of Oregon, there was an article about how. A congregation in Oregon has lost all of its members to Idaho and Utah, and it was a it was an article. Just say that though. I mean, the way the headline, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty bold. What's the headline? I've got to pull it up again. It was like stop. It it was like blames. uh, Yeah, Oregon Church blames Idaho and Utah for stealing its entire congregation. Right. This whole state's just swept in there. Yes, yeah. Oregon Church, yes. Church blames Idaho, Utah for stealing entire congregation. Right, and so this was a news news station out of um, Portland, and they showed a picture of an older building in Portland Metro, really cool looking older LDS Church building that I guess has been empty for like two years, and it's up for sale, and I don't know who's going to buy it, uh, but it's a gorgeous looking building, and I'm really yeah. mad that when I lived there, I didn't go check it out because. It's one of the rare, older, unique ones. But 
I was not surprised when reading this article. <laughs> um, I think just economically, and I think with COVID, you know, big cities, a lot of people flocked out of big cities. I don't think this is unique to Portland, but Portland did have its own issues um, the past several years. But I was also going to say, it's not just like Portland, it's in the suburbs. I lived in a suburb of Portland when I lived there and we exited to Idaho. <laughs> not because we didn't love it there. We loved it there, but to be closer to family, but they are shrinking out in the suburbs too. They, mm. right before we left, they had split wards in our town and created a new ward. And six years later, just like within the past six months, they put those wards back together because they were too too small. So it's happening. Well, here is another interesting point about the article. So this church building is for sale. It's huge. It's 26,000 square feet for like $11 million. At the end of the article, they have seven old churches near Boise that have been redeemed as vacation homes. And they go through all of these churches that you can like rent out on Airbnb, one of which Ariane and I talked about in Pocatello. There is an old LDS meeting house in Pocatello that they revamped to be an Airbnb that you can rent for family reunions. And I can't even remember how many hundreds of people it holds. But... There you go. Some entrepreneurial person can buy this building and make it, you know, either some sort of wedding venue or wedding venue slash Airbnb. Lots of different Mm -hmm. options for large groups who may be wanting to come to Portland and have a place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Ariana, it's not like um, urban flight has not been, uh, it's not unique to Portland for sure. I mean, growing up in California, there's not a lot of church in like central Los Angeles today. Right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. and the church has a lot of old historic meeting houses that it's sold off that are more centrally located in LA. And now you're seeing it even somewhere like where it's already thinned out in LA proper. Even some of the more closer in suburbs, those are starting now yep. to shrink more as people move farther and farther away for, you know, a number of reasons. Some were going to Utah and Idaho for family or a lot of it. There's a lot of older people who grew up there and raised their kids in Southern California, but their kids can't afford to live in California and their kids live in Utah now. And so they just retire and say like, well, why am I staying here? I want to be around my grandkids. And so they all, right. all pack up. So not unheard of by any means. I just love the headline. I know it was very aggressive. Oh, wasn't it? Steal our congregate. Cause everyone's just We're like, stealing oh man, that- Oregon's beautiful, but I just, have you been to Blackfoot though? I mean, it's just really the place to be. <laughs> well, and that made me laugh so hard. The headline too, because people in, Idaho, ultra right, like super right conservative people in Idaho hate people from Portland. <laughs> like they get so angry and they say, you're going to turn Boise into Portland. And like, even when we first moved here and we had Oregon plates on our car, I remember having a conversation with Tiffany and I was like, the drivers here are so rude. I have been flipped off more times. And she was like, that's because you still have your Oregon plates. You dummy, get some Idaho plates. <laughs> and sure enough, the second I got Idaho plates, the drivers were so nice to me. So that's terrible. And it's also hilarious because I mean, Boise's not like particularly far from the Oregon border, right? I mean, how, <laughs> no. how long does it take you to drive to like wherever? Well, I mean, I don't know if you're on the interstate. You oh, know, it's, Ontario we're only an hour right? from the border. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm sure it's not unheard of for Oregon plates to dip into Idaho yeah. with relative frequency. 
Right. Oh, but I don't. don't, know. I don't yeah, they don't like Oregon. Wait till you see them with California plates. That's what really. That's right. I'm very proud of my people. We That'll have made... get you run off the road in Idaho, which I think is very unfortunate. <laughs> the entire Intermountain West hates my home state. And it's like, oh, shush. You're all just jealous that we're paying for all of you. <laughs> anyway. All right, Tiffany, now you may, you may hop in. Okay. Well, well, I, I don't know what you did while I was gone. I don't know what I can claim. Can we, did we do the history of funeral potatoes? <gasps> no, we no. did not do that. I forgot you're doing it. Yeah, we did not oh, do that. Oh, I will take funeral potatoes because they are a much loved dish of mine. And we have talked about funeral potatoes multiple times on this podcast. But this was a recent news article out of the Deseret News, August 31st, about the history of funeral potatoes, because there's many different ways to make funeral potatoes. And it kind of depends on what your preference is. And there's really kind of no hard and fast, like this is the recipe for funeral potatoes. You know, do you put cornflakes on top or Ritz crackers or potato chips? Um, and then, you know, whether or not you make it with the cream of chicken soup or just the sour cream. And anyway, so it just goes through and it talks about Utahns remembering their grandmothers making funeral potatoes and, um, uh, Outside of Utah, basically, you say funeral potatoes and people look at you like, huh, what? Uh, because it's so bizarre. Um, but um, it, they, there's nothing more comforting than a good funeral potato. And I have to tell you, overbaked funeral potatoes, no, 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 no. You can't overbake the funeral no, no, no. potatoes. I am quite particular when I go to a funeral about which funeral potatoes I will I will indulge in. And if I don't see any that are properly baked, then I'm like, mm, I'm skipping the funeral potatoes because I'm not going to have bad funeral potatoes. I'm only going to have good funeral potatoes. Wait, you actually like, you actually eat them at a funeral? Yes, yeah. you do. In addition take, to Easter, take, I always make them on Easter too. Work, no, I've always, yes. I always had them growing up in my grandma's. It was just a thing they'd make. It was never like actually. I mean, I know where the the name comes from, but I don't think I've even been to a funeral wherein funeral potatoes themselves were served. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've been to one that didn't have them. I also hey. don't go to many funerals because I super don't like death. So oh that. well, we've been to a lot of funerals in small our small sample size. Unfortunately, but I think every single funeral I've ever been to has had the funeral potatoes. I guarantee you, if you go to a funeral in Utah or Idaho, you will be eating funeral potatoes. 100% uh, I, guarantee. The only funeral I'm going to go to in Utah is the funeral for Utah. <laughs> when we finally give up and let Colorado and Nevada <laughs> annex, which is, which is literally what the feds wanted back in the day, if you know your history of Deseret and you watch the federal government just slowly... <laughs> <laughs> they directly drew borders in Utah. They would deprive it of silver to the west, which is what became Nevada, because it had you had silver deposits, and there were gold deposits as well in the Utah Territory. They decided to give that to Colorado because legitimately the feds were trying to screw the Mormons out of having like natural resources to exploit within their territory. And they gave it to neighboring states on purpose. So that's a wow. that's a fun thing there. Okay. Anyway, well, back- I, I actually had some I had some funeral potatoes. Okay. I was gonna ask we, how do you oh, like your weekend? funeral potatoes? At a at a restaurant though. No. Oh. They were not branded as such. The wife and I went to the theater, saw Hamilton, it was great. And <gasps> oh, uh we had a fancy dinner up in the top of the Kennedy Center, and it said my meal came with like some kind of like potatoes. What I didn't think much of it, but then as I ate them, it was kind of the shredded type, and they weren't mm. spot on funeral potatoes, and it was just kind of in a little ramekin. But the flavor, 
the consistency, mm. all that. I was like, I, I, it didn't have like cornflakes or anything on top either. But basically, it was in that flavor profile area of mm. funeral potatoes, which was quite intriguing to me. I'm Look at compared that. to no one was presenting it that way, but I was like, this is weird. This is like, that's what I'm getting. Someone went so, to Utah and liked what they found. <laughs> I guess so. Jeff, how does your mom make funeral potatoes? She doesn't. We never had them growing up in our <sighs> house ever. Oh, that's just so sad. I'm gonna have to have a talk that with Barbara sad. about that. I mean, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. Okay. Okay. I had lots of Quickly. good food, but not fu- don't judge I, me. I have to plug the best funeral potato recipe of all time because I know people are just dying to know, right? Mel's Kitchen Cafe. I've talked about her before. One of my favorite LDS food bloggers. She has a funeral potato recipe that doesn't have the canned cream of chicken or canned cream of mushroom soup. Oh, what are what are we talking but about? But a right homemade now? version. What is this? What is this? It's delicious. <laughs> okay, I've got to go find that and try it now. I can't believe you never shared that with me before. You've been holding out. What's wrong with you? I have. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to even find the mention of potatoes. I'm looking. I'm sorry. I'm looking up the menu right now. I'm trying to see how they presented those. The menu potatoes. at the fancy restaurant. I bet they called them potatoes au gratin. Is that what they call no, them? No, because they weren't that. It actually doesn't specify. No, no, no. It said it came with uh, sofrito green beans. Yes, the plantains. Had, we had bone marrow and cilantro butter. It doesn't even mention the potatoes. Well, that oh, well. is a fancy restaurant. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a hot time for all. <laughs> Let me tell you. Oh, what do I touch on here? Hey, some astronaut. Uh, I'm too flippant. A notable astronaut died. A notable LDS astronaut Yes. Well, he's a Latter-day Saint, but you can call him LDS if you don't want to be in line with the prophet. But yeah, so Don Lind. <laughs> Coming from the twin a, uh, founder. <laughs> Don Lind, a, a Latter-day Saint astronaut scientist, passed away at age 92. Church News just ran kind of a nice profile of him and his history, of course. <clears throat> he was a University of Utah graduate. He flew on the shuttle Challenger in 1985. And I don't mean to sound glib, but that was, a, that was one year before it would have been a lot worse to fly on the Challenger. So... Uh, good for him. Interesting and incredible history. You don't hear a lot about Latter-day Saint uh, astronauts in general. I mean, I know the astronauts oh. aren't all talking about their their faith persuasions or anything like that because that's not the gig. But um, what a life, man. I mean, I think being an astronaut is, of course, a very cool thing. It's been on my mind a bit more as we've been wa- hoping the Artemis rocket will actually launch. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had two scrub launches so far. So I've been thinking about space a little bit the past few days. But, man, he did a lot of things. Space Lab 3. Um, he was born in Murray, Utah, got a doctoral degree, naval engineer, full career with NASA, helped out with the space shuttle as we talked about. You can read more at thisweekinmormons.com, but uh, that's a good life. They just said yeah, he died of natural cool. causes. Nothing nothing crazy going on. It was cool. All right. Can I talk about my Jana Reese article? Sure. We should probably <laughs> actually try to like be done with the show at some point. Oh yeah, we're but, we're getting close. Well, I'll just but, hit on it briefly. No, you're good. You're good. I liked it. I I like a good Janaris. I thought this was a really good article to um, hit on after some of this rough news that we've had recently out of the church and BYU and the racial stuff. Um, she just kind of talked about how you know it's been a rough few months, <laughs> at least as far as the press goes for the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, she talked about how she went to the funeral of Kate Holbrook. You guys talked about Kate Holbrook, church historian last week and, and how um, it was a great funeral. And um, during, 
the funeral, her hometown. I didn't realize that Jana Reese doesn't live in Utah. I just assumed she lived in no, Utah. No, she, she lives in Cincinnati. She lives in Cincinnati. So yeah. she talked about while she was there, there was messages going out in her hometown saying, we need volunteers uh, to go help in Kentucky with the flooding. You know, they had that awful flooding. And so they were getting, you know, 10 adults from each ward to go do like hard labor down in Kentucky, cooking meals, like getting water out of houses, like hard manual labor. And um, she just said that her heart swelled and she was so proud to see, you know, her home congregation doing these things. And she just kind of made the comparison that um, that's where she feels like the genius in our churches is at the ward level, at the community, individual ward level is where the genius of our church is. And she said, you know, the big church, the big C, the Salt Lake level that her, she personally is struggling a, a bit with that right now, but seeing the ground level, little church wards taking care of each other is just like, was a good reminder for her about what it's all about. And that's where, you know, the heart of our church is with our people and locally in our congregations. And then I thought this was really interesting. She said at the end of the funeral, she got to see kind of the big church and the little church mix as she saw Elder Gong um, putting away chairs after the funeral in Salt Lake. She said kind of unassuming, just putting away chairs like everybody else in the room, not looking for any praise or notification, just digging in and helping. And she said it was just a good reminder to her of like how individuals are what makes up the church and our individual acts of service are what are making a big difference. And I don't know, I thought it was a really... It was a good read. Yeah, I liked it too. I mean, same reasons as well. I think the big the big C church, especially when you say big C, you could also use the word corporate in many ways <laughs> when you think about that C, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I, the anecdote though with Elder Gong is great. Like you said, the crossing. I would love right. to see, and not, they're not above it, of course. I would love to see a member of right. the 12 who's just there potentially in his or her own water community doing their thing. I did see Elder Gong briefly at the temple dedication in DC, not doing anything with chairs, but (laughs) it was cool to read a story about him. Cause I'm like, Hey, I've actually seen him in person, albeit briefly, but I saw him. Right. Um, I know it's a good visual to like, just visualize him just stacking up chairs like the rest of us. Yeah, though this is this is a great idea, and it's the biggest question, of course, is like, what do we do to meld the two more appropriately? Because right. there can feel like yeah. there's a disconnect sometimes. You get all this crazy. There's been a lot going on with the Big C Church mm-hmm. for sure um, lately, <laughs> and the Big B BYU, I think too. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of things going on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's it's about your ward and your community, and that's yeah. where that's where it's going to grow. Like we get a lot of guidance from Salt Lake and from leaders in this and that, but it, but still, it's it's going to be how you do with your bishop, how well you do your calling, who right. you do it with, and whether your ward is going to thrive or not. Because Salt Lake is not going to swoop in and like save your ward. You know that's going to mm-hmm. be all up to you guys at the ground level, which is how it should be. I mean, that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, before we wrap up. I believe that I need to hit Mormons behaving badly because I have an update on Mormons behaving badly. Y'all may recall my favorite little Hall of Fame winner. I gave him an award for being a Hall of Fame winner, Sheriff Craig Rowland out of Blackfoot, Idaho. This is the. Yeah, he looks so nice. 
This is the gentleman who is the sheriff, got a thankful turkey on his door, and as I like to say, was a little less than thankful for the turkey. (laughs) So he got charged with some felonies. He, of course, pled not guilty to them, but recently he entered into a plea agreement, and he pled guilty to aggravated assault, and in exchange, his felony charge of, and I should say felony aggravated assault, in exchange, his felony charge of aggravated battery and misdemeanor charge of exhibition of a firearm were dismissed. Missed. He is set for sentencing in October. He has entered his guilty plea. There is a plea agreement that the judge said he would follow, which, if I recall correctly, sentenced him to, I believe, five years in jail, but suspended all but 10 days of that and put him on probation. So he is going to have to serve 10 days in jail. And I believe he will. Uh, I don't know if he'll serve it in his own jail. He did resign as sheriff. Sometimes yeah. with these high profile people, they will not have them serve the time in their actual jail. They'll contract with somebody else. And I do recall he wrote an apology letter that I believe was either entered into the record or read in court saying that um, he was all sorts of sorry for his nefarious behavior. So we now have a resolution to our, 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 unthankful sheriff i don't think anyone has followed this this ongoing saga with as much enthusiasm as tiffany it's very true (laughs) it checks all the boxes for me how do we feel about the fact that you can freak out a set of young women by brandishing a weapon at them to get them off your property and at the end of the day the worst you get is 10 days in local jail and then you move on with your life do we feel like that is justice i don't don't know, but it sounds about on brand for Idaho. So, <laughs> actually, I'm surprised he even got ten days in jail. Here's my theory. Okay, you know, <laughs> we Mormons are a forgiving people, and so I have a feeling that the young women and their parents and their leaders wanted him held accountable, but really didn't want to see him go spend a couple years in the state penitentiary. So, I have a feeling that sure. this plea agreement was probably cleared with them. Not the victims necessarily have to always um, consent to a plea agreement, but I am am pontificating and speculating that given the high-profile nature of this case, that this plea agreement was probably run through the victims, and the victims are like, yeah, he's no longer the sheriff. He's been humiliated in public. He's going to spend 10 days in jail. We got our pound of flesh. We're good. Yeah. Fair point. (laughs) You, you you don't really make me want to move to Idaho. I'll tell you that. You We're know? not selling it. Okay, no. Jeff, I need no. to be really clear. This is eastern Idaho. This is where Jared Gillens lives. This is not yes, western Idaho. Okay. Oh, I, there know. Is- oh, I know. You guys are populated by woke Californians and Oregonians. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Can't that. There is a very distinct difference between eastern Idaho and western Idaho. Eastern Idaho and northern Idaho. And northern oh, yeah. Idaho. Eastern northern. Idaho. They are Utah wannabes. Northern Idaho, they just want to secede from the Union. And then real Idaho is located in Boise. That's how it goes. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Real Idaho is centered around Nampa. We all know this. That is the epicenter (laughs) of culture. Well, of course, because that's where Ariane and I grew up. (laughs) I almost moved to Idaho when I was nine. I almost became one of you. Really? And you would have been better for it. I was so psyched because my, my, the house I grew up in uh, was built was built like, what, 1920 or something like that? 
So cool old house, raised foundation, fun place to grow up. But when we were looking at moving, this is like Idaho in the early 90s. And, and so if we were to move, it would have been like new construction housing. I still remember the name of the model, the Bridgewater 2, because I looked at the pamphlet for it obsessively. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, we could have a pool and a hot Oh, you get a mansion. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. I was, my house was one story. I was like, we would have a second level in the house, like stairs? Are you serious? <laughs> Uh, and so that never transpired in I state of California, but, uh, I almost, yeah, I could have been a 208 person, you know, could well, have been my thing. What could have been? Well, I would love to thank my beautiful, wonderful Idaho friends for us hanging out with me this week. Tiffany, Ariane, Twins and Sisters, nice to have you here, of course. It was well, very thanks fun. Thanks for having us. As always, thanks for hanging up. out. We didn't plan a supersized show this week, but hey, that's what you get. So uh, good times all around. Of course, go to thisweekinmormons.com. You know, follow us on social, yada, yada, yada. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you taking the time. For Tiffany and Ariane, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. And I'll say what I used to say. Be well, be holy, and be happy. Haven't done that for about two years or so. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye.